Scott, that's jwellfire.com. Final Days Report, episode 301. In this episode, I want to show what appears to be the missile NASA shot at the eclipse. This is part of a series. Why are they shooting missiles at the moon? How does this tie into Operation Fishbowl? Remember, they were igniting nuclear weapons up in the atmosphere. How does this tie into the fake moon landing? We're going to show a video thereof. And also, biblical cosmology. I want to show a video as described by the intellect scholar Michael Heiser that recently passed away. Why are we being programmed to obey NASA with Obama's doomsday movie with predictive programming? My goal within this VCAST is not to tell you what to think, but to not be deceived. We're not being told the truth, my friends, on so many fronts. Now, echoing that, this doomsday movie that we covered in the last couple of VCAST, Leave the World Behind, has taken Netflix by storm, that Obama, the Obamas, were part of this script. I think they were the producers Within the movie, you clearly see the young boy obey, and that's Obama, NASA. Obey NASA. But where it gets really creepy is USA Today, it went viral with their headline. They're actually showing the young boy without the Obama obey picture on his shirt. They whited it out. Why are people waking up? And I think they are waking up. I had a conversation with a fellow Christian, and I'd say he's 30 to 40% awake. He doesn't believe in a lot of the different conspiracies. He's never really looked into them, but he knows about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and One World Government and the digital ID and central bank digital currencies. So he has some basic Mark of the Beast knowledge. He noticed this. He watched the movie on Netflix with his wife, and he's like, I saw this. Obey NASA. What is up with that? But the fact that the mainstream news is whitewashing this is really strange. Are too many people waking up to this nonsense? Because there's an article from Vice that said, no, this isn't predictive programming. Folks, if you want to know the future, all you have to do is watch The Simpsons. It's sigil magic. That way it doesn't fall back on your head if they actually tell you what they're going to do to you. And you know Hollywood, right? The, the magic stick, it's witchcraft. We're dealing with witches, my friends. Here's where it gets even more interesting, talking about how they're not telling us the truth about space. This is out of Russia. AI analysis in Russia says U.S. moon landing images are fake. But what the article failed to mention, that when you go a little bit deeper, Google AI says American lunar landing photos are faked. Putin looks at American lunar landing pictures that Google AI says are fake. And as a conspiracy guy diving deep in a researcher, I really never cared if we went to the moon or not. I didn't necessarily see the big picture that no, we were, we did not evolve from rock poop, from apes, and we were not created by aliens. Aliens are fallen angels. And even some of my awake friends that claim to be Christians, they're kind of caught up into this Stephen, I think his name's Greer, these aliens, UFOs. Folks, this is just demons. We're dealing with demons. Are they real? Absolutely. But they're fallen angels. And then the demonic spirits, there's a theory that the demonic spirits are uh, the, the offspring of Nephilim. When Nephilim died, their demonic spirits came from the souls of Nephilim. All right, so we did a couple podcasts about missiles hitting the moon. I had this wild dream, Final Days Report, episode 260, where they were launching missiles at the moon, trying to pierce a hole in it, and behind it was this long 
pipe almost that went way up and it was almost like the moon was lit by the glory of God. And I got the sense they wanted to pierce the moon in order to get to the throne of God. And it kind of reminded me when I woke up, um, the Tower of Babel came to me. And it was just interesting. I was um, researching the Tower of Babel after this dream. And Rob Skiba did some amazing work where he actually found the location where they were building the Tower of Babel. And he actually, I think, quoted some secular writings as well, but historical in nature. The Tower of Babel really existed. I always thought maybe it was like CERN, that sort of thing. But more and more, I'm convinced that the Tower of Babel actually existed. And I'll actually read some scripture on why this is a big deal and why God had to actually confound their language. So then this journey, I found an article that said NASA was going to shoot rockets at the eclipse at the sun dog. Here's a Forbes headline, why NASA will fire three rockets at the ring of fire solar eclipse. And it had to do what they said. They wanted to actually test you know, different weather type metrics is what the uh, potential cover story was. So that led me to the following video. And the reason why I decided to actually show a video of what Michael Heiser said is biblical cosmology. I mean, this, this scholar really knows the Bible and he, he doesn't believe in it. He's like, we have science now to not prove this. But when you really look at this, this event, it looks close. And why I think the Lord gave me the dream about missiles hitting the moon is people are seeing this. They're seeing it all over the world with their cell phones, with something that doesn't magnify that great. This, this moon is closer in than what we're being told, my friends. But let's play this video. He slows it up a little bit. I think he thinks something's coming through. I don't think he realizes this could be the explosion of a rocket, potentially. Let's play it. A man that goes by the name of Big Daddy Vio1037 on Facebook captured something really strange during the solar eclipse that happened recently. Check this out. Hey, what's up, guys? So, um, please don't think I'm crazy. I promise you I'm not. Well, not totally crazy, anyway. So, it's currently 3 five in the morning and scrolling through other people's videos ABD and I was watching videos of the eclipse and I saw this emotional right now oh there we go did look like a window opening up to his defense, but was that the explosion of those three rockets for those so-called tests? Because if it was, this, this is close. 
you know that was probably caught with somebody's cell phone. Continuing on the theme that we're not being told the truth about space, it just reminded me again of Operation Fishbowl, where supposedly they were launching nukes in the upper atmosphere, and many suspect trying to pierce the firmament. I mean, how crazy is that? But I didn't know this until recently that Operation Fishbowl was below Operation Dominic. And when you really get into the esoteric knowledge of Dominic, it is derived from the Latin name Dominicus, meaning of the Lord or belonging to God. What do they know, my friends, that we do not know? And so I watched the great flat earth debate between Pastor Greg Locke and Pastor Dean Odell. And it was really somewhat hard to watch. It got a little heated in the end. Personally, I thought Greg Locke seemed unorganized and uh, very unprepared and got frustrated and started to get a little heated and name calling a bit. And one thing I watched the post interview um, meeting with Dean Odell, and maybe it was his next sermon. I'm not 100% sure, but I thought it was interesting. He talked about Michael S. Heiser on how Michael Heiser, this biblical scholar, and I think he went to the University of Pennsylvania, right, an Ivy League school, and the University of Wisconsin, two really good colleges. I know at my best in my heyday of being uh, involved in academics, I couldn't get into an Ivy League school. No way. But he really is this amazing scholar um, with the Semitic languages, with with Hebrew. I mean, just a well-respected scholar. And I'm going to show play a video that Dean Odell talked about how Michael Heiser, Dr. Heisel, is like, this is what the Bible says on what biblical cosmology is. Now, the sad thing for Michael Heiser is he ripped on, he said, oh, but we have science now. And unfortunately, he passed at a very, very young age. But you got to give him credit. He seemed to describe what the Bible says this earth is. And I found this interesting as well, going through this debate. I can't remember if Dean mentioned this or if just from some research um, this came up. Scripture describes the firmament as a dome above the earth in Genesis 1 verses 6 through 81, where God separates the waters above and below the firmament and calls it heaven. The Hebrew word for firmament is rakia, which means hammered metal or expanse. Also, it was to spread. So what is going on, my friends? Now, I want to play Michael Heiser here. And seems like a very good guy. I, I think I actually purchased some of his books involved in angels, that sort of thing, fallen angels. Very interesting guy. But he's going to say, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna show in this video literally what the Bible says. And, and again, this is not what he believes because we have science. And he doesn't believe it. And he, he kind of skirts around why he doesn't believe it. But hopefully God did not judge him for him ripping on the Bible and curse him accordingly. I'm sure the man saved and in heaven. Well, let's play. I thought it was just interesting. I learned a lot from this video and it's referenced a lot with the flat earth communities. I also want to challenge you because a lot of times we, uh, as evangelicals, as Christians, whatever label you want to stick on yourself, you know, we, we, we say we believe X, Y, Z and 
sometimes my question is, if I was in a classroom, I would say, well, do you really? We believe the Bible is the literal word of God. Do you really? You know, where does your literalism end, you know, and where does somebody else's begin? And that always factors into something like this topic for Genesis. And I'm going to show you tonight, I'm going to be a flaming, uncompromising, blind literalist tonight. And I'm going to challenge you to be as literal as I am. Now, you're probably wondering, what is, where is he angling toward? You know, you'll find out. The Old Testament shares terms and ideas with the ancient Near Eastern pagans. And we've, we talked a little bit about this last week. This should not be a surprise because there are similarities between the conception of how the world that we experience was made that are shared with Israel's neighbors. We see these terms as metaphorical, the terms that I'm going to cover tonight. We, we look at them, you know, when the Old Testament says something like that the sky is supported by pillars. Oh, that's just metaphorical. It's just poetic. To us it is. And you know why? Because we have a scientific worldview. That's why. They didn't. They were serious. No ancient person ever scaled a mountain. Do you realize that? Like the tall mountains? Because it takes oxygen, they freeze. I mean, all this kind of special equipment. There's no record that any of them ever did it. Okay, until the 15, it wasn't until the 15th century that we have you know, the whole issue resolved of can you sail this way and come out the other? You know, the, the whole idea about the earth being a globe and all that kind of stuff, that, that was debated up into the 15th, you know, 15th century. We look at that and go, oh, you know, it's just poetic. It is to us. But what I'm going to say is, again, back to my introduction, if you take it literally, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. They were serious about it. All these concepts and even some of the terms are part of ancient Near Eastern cosmology. In other words, what I'll show you tonight the division of the world, what the world looks like in Israeli cosmology. You can find the same descriptions anywhere else. Egypt, Mesopotamia, you know, ancient Syria, the Hittites, whatever. Because this was a common worldview. Now, if we say that Israel knew better through special divine revelation, then we have a problem. Then we have to say that the literature of the pagans, I mean, somehow they knew too. Did God speak to them? Where'd they get that information? I really don't want pagan literature to be in any way even looking inspired, okay, uh, that's just a, that opens a real, real can of worms for inspiration. It's just ground we need to stay away from, and for good reason. It's legitimate to stay away from it. If we let the Bible be what it is, though, we can claim it's unique theologically and what it says about God. But if not, then pagan literature is essentially on the same level. And trust me, you don't want to go there. You want it to be unique. Let's get into it here. Exodus 24. Israelite cosmology has three tiers. This is the Ten Commandments passage. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Three levels. New Testament is the same. Philippians 2.8, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What, like the worms? No. We're going to see what they were thinking here. Revelation 5, heaven, earth, under the earth. It's a three-tiered cosmology. This is what it would look like. I didn't make this graphic, which is why it looks cool. Okay. Somebody gave this to me because they hated, honestly, at Western, they hated the one I used, and so they gave me this. This is a three-tiered cosmology. There's God. We're going to see it in the verses I'll show you. that God lives above the vault of heaven, the firmament. And in the firmament, you have windows and doors. Then you have the earth. We're going to see verses that talk about the ends of the round, flat earth here. Underneath is Sheol. Sheol can be both the grave, and it can also be the underworld. Okay? It's, it's not quite hell, but it's sort of like hell. We can talk a little bit about it. 
And then underneath that, we have the great deep. These are all scriptural terms that are on this map. This is what an Israelite, an Egyptian would have had different terms, but the same three-tiered level, same with the Mesopotamians. Now, they have, theologically, they have dramatically different views of what's going on here. Not just who made it, but what's going on. Views of afterlife, the value of humanity. I mean, it's, it's dramatically different. And I've made the comment before, Genesis is about theological messaging. And there are some dramatic differences in what Israel is saying, the Bible is saying, and anything else. So let's take a look at the parts. Waters above and below the heavens. Genesis 1.6, God said, let there be an expanse. Some translations have firmament. It's rakiah in Hebrew. In the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, the rakiah, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And what was that expanse called? Heaven. The heavens, the sky, Shemayim in Hebrew. So you have here sky, and you have waters above the sky, and of course you've got waters below down here, but then you have you know, the atmospheric heavens as well. Psalm 148 mentions the waters that are above the heavens. That's after the flood. Did you catch that? Because a lot of people want to say, oh, the waters above, they went away with the flood. See, the, 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 the firmament was this canopy thing, and it was there, and then the flood, it just went away. And no, it wasn't. According to the psalmist, it's, he's still referring to it. Proverbs 8. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Isn't that interesting? We'll get to that. Circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. Made firm is amats in Hebrew. It is the same verb for letting a tree grow firm, hard. Ancient cosmology across the board believed that the sky was this dome over the earth, and it was solid. Kind of like the Truman Show. Okay? They believed that the stars were affixed to it. Some of the stars never moved. The other ones did. And the ones that did, this is why the word stars is attributed to the sons of God and to angels in biblical literature. They believed that the stars were animate beings, that they were really divine beings, and then they'd come to earth as angels, but they, were, they lived up there. And those were the ones that moved. Why? Because movement shows what? If something moves, it's alive, okay? Again, they can't take a rocket and go up and check it out. They, they believe that this is they're, they're, there's a solid expanse over them. Another passage, Job 37, verse 18. Can you, like him, you know, speaking of Job, you know, drawing the dramatically poor comparison of God and Job, we know who's going to win there, but can you, like him, spread out the skies hard, kazakh, hard as cast metal? Mutsak, as a metal mirror. Mutsak is the same word used in the casting of the laver, you know, the tabernacle where they would wash. It's solid. It's also the same terminology used for flint rock. Again, these passages point to the belief that there's a dome, the sky's a dome, and it's solid. God lives above it, we live below it. Job 22, did I skip one? No, I didn't. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. That's where God lives. It's his address. You know, and before we, we think, oh, that's quaint. How cute. We think that, don't we? If a little child would ask you, where does God live? Up there. Is there something wrong with that answer? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Use it, you know. Uh, because... There's a sense that God lives off-planet. Why? Because he created the earth for us. He doesn't need it. He's independent of it. 
He transcends it. That's all it is. It's very normal. Amos 9.6, he builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth. The vault upon the earth. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out in the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. And Psalm 29, Lord sits enthroned over the flood. <clears throat> Let's go back here. We talk about the middle tier now, the earth. Here's a God's eye view of the world. If God is sitting above the firmament and looking down at it, what does he see? This is where we get Genesis 1.9. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Waters, plural, one place. How can you get all the waters in one place and then still call them seas? And the dry land appeared. <coughs> That's how you get it. All the waters, one place, earth, but they're still seas. Again, depending on what direction you're coming from or where you're at. Because if you're over here, you're going to call this something sea, and you can't really see what's going on over here. So if you live on the other side, that's another sea. But you got all the seas together. Proverbs 8, when he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Circular. He made firm the skies above, so on and so forth. Here's an interesting one. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. What's the boundary between light and darkness? Think about it. You all know the answer to this. What's the boundary? Think literally. What's the boundary between light and darkness? Does it get dark here? Does it get light here? Where's the boundary? The horizon. That's the boundary between light and darkness. If this is your view of the world, your horizon is right here. That's where the firmament ends and it meets. It's stopping the waters from going any further. And it goes all the way around, the whole thing. Because if you're on a circular earth, everywhere you look, there's a horizon the place where light and dark meet. Again, I told you I'm going to be a flaming literalist tonight. I'm going to say that I'm going to take them absolutely at their word. Vault of the heavens, pillars and mountains. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. Oh, that's just metaphor and poetry. Yeah, yes, it is. If you ask them, it's like, well, there's that, that, that big mountain thing. I mean, that's like, that's holding up the sky. Duh. If you don't believe it, go find I mean, <laughs> how are you going to find out any different? You know, obviously we can, but you know, the means to do that isn't with them. Second Samuel 28, the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because God was angry. Windows and doors, and that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. Psalm 78, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. Again, familiar phrases. Pillars under the earth, supporting the earth. And look at the language. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. You betcha. It's not Marduk. It's not that silly Ta in Egypt. It's Yahweh who did that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, an Israelite would want you to marvel. He would think you're insane if you didn't. Either that or a pagan. Job 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. Again, think of the circle with the earth in the middle. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sheol, 
the last level. Sheol is a Hebrew word. In the ESV, uh, I think in most cases they just have Sheol. It's Sheol in Hebrew. It can mean the hole that they just dug to put you in when you're dead. Or it can mean the underworld. Okay. I, I said the very first week, you know, we have this idea that hell, the underworld, is down there. Where do we get that? We get that from the Old Testament. Okay, that's, that's just, do you think hell has a latitude and a longitude? Does it have an address? I mean, could you, could you put it into your GPS and it would take you there? I mean, it just, it doesn't have latitude and longitude. These are, these are what are called cosmic geographical terms. Heaven is where God is. It doesn't have a latitude and a longitude. But if you try to describe it, you're forced, because you live and you're limited by space and time, you're forced to use geographical language. Over there, up there, down here. You know, he passed over. Over what? Like, would I stumble on it if I came across? I mean, you know, we, we use this language today. And we're forced to because we are not inhabitants of a non-physical reality. We're trapped into using this language about a place that doesn't have locality that our bodies can identify with. That's why we need new bodies, different bodies. Because if it's this one, we ain't getting there. Okay? It is, you know, they're, they're, we're just trapped. This is our existence. And they have the same problem in the Old Testament. Job 26.5, the dead, the word is rephaim, tremble under the waters. The rephaim were not-so-nice inhabitants of the, the underworld. Tremble under the waters. Sheol is under the waters. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. Abaddon is another word. And we, that word comes up in Revelation for the destroyer, the pit. Right? Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades, the Rephaim, to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. Everyone righteous or wicked goes to Sheol. Everybody dies. Psalm 89, what man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Answer, nobody. Okay. Now the righteous went to Sheol. The hope of the righteous in the Old Testament was that they get to leave at some point to be with the Lord. Jacob goes there. I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Hezekiah goes there. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. See, when you went to Sheol, you were still alive. You were dead, but you're alive. You know, kind of like we think today when people die, they're still alive. You know, we use the same language because that's the language of Scripture. You still exist beyond your physical death. You're still alive, but you're there, you know, some direction. Right? Hezekiah is saying the same thing. David, certainly, I think he's going to be in heaven, but he goes to Sheol. Cords of Sheol entangled me. Snares of death. You know, are you going to praise? Anybody going to praise you in Sheol? The cords of Sheol entangled me. The wicked also go there. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace. They go down to Sheol. Job's kind of ticked about that. They say, "God, depart from us. <clears throat> we don't desire the knowledge of your ways. What's the Almighty, and why should we serve Him? What profit do we get if we pray to Him?" They're obviously unbelievers, but they go to Sheol too. Everybody goes to Sheol. The hope is that you get out. Now, that is a very brief overview of Old Testament cosmology. And I'm coming back to this slide. But I think I'd kind of like to go back to, well, some of, some of us won't have the context for it. Let's just end here. There is a passage, uh, if any of you bring it up in Q&A, I have more slides uh, about it, but I'm going to end here. That relates to cosmology that might have popped in your head as far as a question. 
um, dealing with the earth's shape as well. The Bible says the earth is immovable with a hard firmament on top of us. Sounds to me like most people do not want to give up the lie and believe the scriptures and real science. There is brilliant research out there proving the earth doesn't move, is flat, and that the sun and moon are very, very close. Believe the scriptures and true science or 500-year-old pagan philosophy and NASA and their fake images. God said in the end times that all things that were hidden would be revealed. So give up your pride and hateful comments towards people and do your research. A fool makes up his mind before researching a matter. But the message I want you to take away again is Genesis is about theological messaging. And if we look at Genesis this way, it doesn't matter that Genesis is, and the rest of the Bible is littered with this kind of cosmological language because God didn't bother to change the culture. He could have if he wanted to. He didn't care. If he had cared, he would have done it. The only other conclusion is that he couldn't. And then you have a problem with omnipotence. God doesn't care. I'm coming to these people at this time, in this place. They're, it's the second millennium B.C. They don't know it's B.C. yet because Jesus doesn't come. But it's a long time, okay, way, 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 way back. And I'm going to give them a message, and they're going to do the best they can under my influence to express it. I'm going to watch as they write. If they goof up, I'm going to send somebody along. I'll go fix that. You know, they didn't quite get it right. Somebody will come along and clean that up a little bit. When it gets done with the process, God can look at this thing we call the Bible and say, good job. It's pretty good. I'm satisfied with that. But all of that content is fixed in a particular worldview that we don't have. We have to let it be what it is. And let God, let God's decision to do it that way settle with us. And my challenge to you is try it. (laughs) If you do that, you don't need to justify it to science. They need to justify why they're criticizing it for not being what it was never intended to be. And that You don't have to justify it to deception. All right. The next video I want to show is Reese's 12-minute video about why people do not think we went to the moon on that scam. Former head of Russia's space agency says that the Apollo moon landings were fake. And in a recent video going around, Vladimir Putin is briefed that several moon landing images are considered to be fake by artificial intelligence. There's a great deal of human intelligence who do not believe that the Apollo moon missions were authentic. And here are some of the reasons why. NASA was run by former Nazi Werner von Braun, who was beholden to the U.S. government for secretly importing him into the country via Project Paperclip, as were the dozens of other Nazis who joined him to work as rocket scientists, all of them with a good reason to keep a secret. And the overwhelming majority of astronauts were Freemasons and the sons of Freemasons. Freemasons swear on their lives to keep the secrets they are entrusted with. Why on earth 
would anyone trust NASA? If the moon landing was real, it would have been a miraculous achievement because NASA was failing at every level of the mission and did not believe they would be able to achieve their goal. In 1967, government inspector Thomas Barron testified before congressional investigators that the Apollo program was failing. Six days after his testimony, he was killed with his wife and child when a train crashed into his car. Astronaut Gus Grissom held an unauthorized press conference where he criticized the program and said it would take another 10 years to fly to the moon. Five days later, he was killed on the job. Gus Grissom's last words were, how are we going to get to the moon if we can't talk between two or three buildings? Moments later, the Apollo 1 command module caught fire, killing astronauts Grissom, White, and Chaffee. Several key members of the Apollo mission resigned just months before the mission. What NASA had been successful at was a massive marketing operation that put space travel into the zeitgeist of American pop culture. And they had spent billions creating multiple sound stages with realistic models of the moon to begin producing simulations of the moon landing. NASA had several problems to solve. Problems with communications, the rockets, and the lunar module. But one of their biggest obstacles was deadly radiation. In order to reach the moon, one has to pass through what is known as the Van Allen radiation belt. And NASA announced in 2014 that this was still a problem when they launched an unmanned spacecraft to try to solve it. Radiation like this could harm the guidance systems, onboard computers, or other electronics on Orion. Naturally, we have to pass through this danger zone twice, once up and once back. But Orion has protection. Shielding will be put to the test as the vehicle cuts through the waves of radiation. Sensors aboard will record radiation levels for scientists to study. We must solve these challenges before we send people through this region of space. Aside from the Apollo moon missions, no one has ever gone past the Van Allen radiation belt. The Apollo moon mission had no protection against the radiation. And astronauts don't even seem to know about it. Any ill effects from the Van Allen radiation belts? No. Now, I'm not sure we went far enough out to, to encounter the Van Allen radiation belt. Maybe we did. The belts are 1,000 miles to 25,000 miles above the Earth. We, then we went right out through them. According to NASA, we can go no higher than low Earth orbit. plan that NASA has is to build a rocket called SLS, which is a heavy lift rocket. It's something that is, that is much bigger than what we have today, and it will be able to launch the Orion capsule with humans on board, as well as uh, landers or other uh, components to, via, to destinations beyond Earth orbit. Right now, we only can fly in Earth orbit. That's the farthest that we can go, and this new system that we're building is going to allow us to go beyond and hopefully take humans into the solar system to explore. So the moon, Mars, asteroids, there's a lot of destinations that we could go to. In the documentary film, 
A funny thing happened on the way to the moon. The three astronauts of Apollo 11 are seen in low Earth orbit, figuring out how to stage a fake image for the camera. This film was recorded when the Apollo 11 was said to be nearing lunar orbit, and we can see and hear them manipulating the shot to make the Earth appear to be thousands of miles away, when in fact they have blacked out the inside of the craft and are blocking off the window facing the surface to make it look like the Earth at a distance. When we hear Houston radio approval for the shot, the astronauts do not respond until an unknown third party can be heard whispering, talk. Call Apollo 11. Houston, Goldstone says that the TV looks great. Over. The astronauts are told they are being pre-recorded and edited for a subsequent live broadcast. Buzz Aldrin explains how they shut out the sun to achieve the illusion of the one window being the Earth in the black of space. And with direction from Houston, they get it to look right for the camera. We then hear the portion meant for the public, with Neil Armstrong claiming to be 130,000 miles from Earth and describing a single camera pressed up against the window to achieve the shot. But in the unedited footage, we see objects passing between the camera and the window. We see a work light in the dark. And finally, when they are done with their hoax, the final few frames reveal the truth. Protecting humans in this radiation wasn't the only problem. The high-end Hasselblad camera had no protection against radiation. And there is no explanation as to how it was able to take photographs in negative 200 degree weather with a constant bombardment of cosmic radiation. And the pictures themselves are full of anomalies. According to the official story, the only external light source was the sun. But in all these photographs, there appears to be only artificial light, hot spots, and fall-off areas when it should be as bright as a desert on Earth. And if the sun were the only light source, then all shadows would run parallel to each other. But in these photos, shadows either run perpendicular to each other, proving multiple light sources, or in others, the shadows are divergent, proving a single local light source. Shadows created by sunlight have a sharp edge. Shadows created by artificial light have fuzzy edges. Even the camera expert from Hasselblad agrees that these photos were shot using artificial light sources. Yes, it, it seems like he's standing in the spotlight. And I can't explain that. Uh, that, that escapes me. <laughs> Why? Photographs all appear to have been taken on a professionally lit soundstage, which could have easily been part of their billion-dollar simulation project. And when you compare scenes from the Apollo moon landing footage with scenes from Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, there is strong evidence that the exact same technology was used. In the late 60s, a state-of-the-art front projection system developed by Scotchlight allowed Kubrick to simulate expansive backgrounds by projecting them onto a large screen made with small glass beads. The giveaway for this cinematic trickery is that the foreground must always hide the bottom of the Scotchlight projection screen in the background 
In order to do this, the bottom of each set needs to have a complete horizon line between the set in the foreground and the screen in the background. And we can see this signature in all the Apollo images. We can also see light refraction off the glass beads in the scotch light screen. The lunar module appears to be cheaply constructed with tinfoil and scotch tape, and the 10,000-pound thrust rocket on this flimsy craft didn't even leave a mark in the ground beneath it. There is no moisture or discernible atmosphere on the moon, and yet we can see mud and dust being flung into the air. In an original recording between Houston and astronauts on the moon, a reply is heard instantly, which would not be possible from that distance. Roger, Jim, copy. And are you progressing towards Dune Crater now? Yep. The same recording was then edited for a public broadcast, and four seconds were added. Roger, Jim, copy. And are you progressing towards Dune Crater now? Yep. And when they supposedly left... There was no visible flame on the lunar module, even though hypergolic fuel visibly burns in a vacuum. And we never hear the 140 decibel rocket engine, which the astronauts are sitting on top of. 30 feet down, two and a half, picking up some dust. Four forward, four forward, drift into the right a little. During takeoff, when it would have been burning at its loudest, an astronaut plays a musical recording, accentuating how quiet it is inside the craft. 99 Pro. An official moon rock given to Holland by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin was tested and found to be petrified wood from Earth. The lunar module designs have been thrown away, videotapes are missing, and all of the telemetry data which could be used as evidence of the moon mission is also somehow missing. We, we've been unable to, to, to track it down. I mean, we don't know. Uh, where this this telemetry data ended up, and we don't know the what what path it may have taken. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm afraid I can't really give you much of a clue as to as to where this data ended up. Greg Reese reporting. I find it interesting, my friends, and I really dove deep into the whole flat Earth debate because I am a planet Xer. I think there's a second sun or some sort of system. It might be coming from the outer lands. It might be a dimension thing. And people are seeing two suns all over the place, right? In the end days, there'll be signs in the heavens where men's heart will fail them for fear. I think it's happening right now. People are catching stuff all over the place. But is it what we're told it is? That's what I'm questioning, my friends. And all of this, going back to the moon and how it just appears to be closer and what we're being told, and if you think about the uh, Tower of Babel, after that dream I had, where they were trying to poke a hole in the moon, and it had this big pipe that stretched for miles, probably where the water is above the glass firmament, if that's how it is. And, it, and again, in the dream, I was like, I don't know if it's literal or figurative, because there was this gross darkness 
where judgment had to actually take place as they were trying to blow up the moon and poke a hole in it. It just reminded me again of the Tower of Babel. And I always found this verse to be very, very interesting when they were trying to build this tower up. And the reason why they wanted to do it is they wanted to overthrow God. Behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them. Nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So we know Satan, Lucifer wants to overthrow God and be God. I just found that interesting. It, it appears they were trying to crack into the heavens, and God knew it. That's why he scrambled their language. Genesis 11. In closing, don't be deceived by NASA, the predictive programming movie from the Obamas is crazy. Obey NASA, NASA's logo with the snake tongue. I think Reese did a good job in a consolidated video the moon landing is suspect. I remember as a kid going to a museum, I can't remember where, and they showed some of the, I think, replicas of the spacecrafts. I'm like, it looks like a toy. It looks like a toy. I still believed it, I must admit. But you need to think about the debate, biblical cosmology from Michael Heiser, very esteemed biblical scholar. But he's kind of mocking it, really. He had undertones of mocking it. It's like, well, we have a science worldview. Do we? If you really want to dive deeper into this topic, um, Flat Earth Dave has an amazing app, and the app escapes me. And then Dean Odell really dives deep into this as well, probably one of the pioneering pastors to jump on that train. And why the lie? Well, I think it has to do with evolution, the great deception that we came from aliens, this whole UFO disclosure, and ultimately preventing you from getting saved to Jesus Christ as well, that the Bible is truth. When I actually got saved, one of the big things for me, just being a researcher, is the cover-up of the giants from the Smithsonian, and giants were in the Bible. I'm like, why? Why the cover-up of giants, of 14-foot giants, 12-foot giants that are 13 to 1,400 pounds? Why? Well, it's the offspring from the fallen angels. It's the Nephilim. And that is why God had Israel wipe out these giants in the promised land. They were wicked. They were GMO, or they were genetically modified, defiled. As the days of Noah, as those are the days that we're living in now, where, you know, with CRISPR-Cas9, all this mRNA technology, were being defiled. There's just more and more evidence thereof. If you follow our ministry, subscribe. We probably cover 30 to 40% of our videos within that, that, that technology. And again, this is a Watchman News ministry. But have a blessed day, my friends. Pray against this evil. Pray people are not deceived.